Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning, guys, and welcome back to another PH Nutrition podcast. I'm one of the coaches with PH Nutrition. My name's Luke, and today we're diving into another Q&A, so answering your questions that you have submitted to us. I'm joined by coaches Liam and Tom. So, Liam, how are you doing, man? Very good, mate. I've been up, done my done my Monday morning session. It's in the bank, ready to ready to have a good week, strong week. Outstanding. And Tom, how are you doing? Just come back from honeymoon, so nice and relaxed, right? Yeah, nice and relaxed. Little bit of a tan. My kind of Irish-looking skin hasn't really changed too much. But yeah, nice and relaxed. Good food. Company was all right, you know. Yeah, new wife. She's okay. And yeah, like Liam, back to training this morning. So I'm sure my legs will be pretty sore tomorrow. So happy days. Standing. And it's just worth saying as well, guys, at the top here, that Tom has just announced his yearly challenge for November. So at the end of November, Tom is going to be running 100 miles from Twickenham to Colchester. So his legs are going to be a lot more tired coming up. But it's worth shouting that out at the top. Check out Tom on TMC Nutrition to see how he's doing. Donate, obviously, because it's a wonderful thing. But I just wanted that in there before we answer some questions. Let's get into the questions, guys, shall we? So... A couple of questions that came through on the Instagram. We're going to run through them, answer them. Hopefully, the first one that we got was from Becky Lala. And Liam, I'm going to send this one to you. And it was tips on training in perimenopause, please. Any tips? Yeah, we, we do. The thing is, the perimenopause is that obviously there is a, is a, a ton of different symptoms and every, every woman would be feeling and experience them in, in different amounts and at different times. And obviously it can happen, you know, at different you know stages of people's life it doesn't always happen at you know for late 40s or 50s it can happen quite early so the thing is with training wise like it's probably something that people especially later in life don't necessarily do and this is strength training or resistance training as you're a little bit older then like bone density starts to drop and doing doing resistance training is going to help 
you know, building muscle mass or maintaining muscle mass, improving bone density. So top of the list would be to try and do some form of resistance training. And it doesn't mean going to the gym, pure gym and repping it out with all of the, the bodybuilders, but it's doing some form of like you say, actual this load through the body, whether this is carries, whether this is resistance stuff, uh, resistance training on machines, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be like a bro split. It can be you know, like just weight resistance exercise, because commonly what would happen is people would be doing, um, you know, classes and hit, and these are often with quite low weight, you know, so, and also they can sometimes be quite stressful on the joints, you know, muscles. And, and again, this is something that if you're going to do that type of exercise, you might want to maybe just see if you can adapt it to just put the weight up a little bit and maybe drop the intensity or the impact and do you know something like box jumps instead of doing box jumps you could do a box jump and then a step down or a step up and step down with weight or without weight like it's that it's that type of concept that you want to try to be uh, kind of focusing on if you can do that that's going to be helpful and uh, then you want to be making sure that it's just general movement low intensity movement like tom's spoken a lot about zone two but even less than that just general walking and uh, you know like increasing your kind of like movement away from from training and so i think that's some something that often can be un, un, not overlooked rather than just thinking oh i've got to do more training because it's maybe a struggle to kind of maintain weight because of what's happening from a hormonal point of view if you can increase your general movement maybe add a little bit of resistance training in and uh, you know just just kind of think about being sensible with the amount of impact and the amount of like you know, that intensity on the joints and load on the joints. And then I think you're going to be kind of on the right pathway. So that's a little bit of a whistle stop tour on it. We do have some more information on, on the hub on a master's program as well. So Becky, if you do need a little bit more information, then maybe head over to the female performance project and message Chloe as well. And she can dive into a little bit more personalized stuff as well. But hopefully that helps. Standing ace thanks for that liam let's fly through these so next question tom i'm going to come to you for this this was from amy stupak and it was about any tips for flu season so flu season is coming a lot of us are more likely to get a little bit ill have we got any tips on how we can change our nutrition to kind of combat that a little bit and if we do end up getting the flu and suffering what can we do after it to kind of recover a little bit quicker too cool when it comes to preventing I'm going to try and keep it really simple and kind of two things to think about. Number one is your gut health. Uh, taking care of your gut, I think, is really key. Eating prebiotic foods, probiotic foods, helping to support your gut as it's a real kind of immunity center of your body. And then secondly, I think this time of year is trying to do nothing to extremes. That can often people can end up feeling a bit run down which is often then when they get poorly and potentially, you know, your kind of defenses, your, your walls come down a little bit. So not kind of extreme dieting, you know, really big cal calorie deficit. And then potentially the other end is kind of not massively overtraining. Often when people get a bit burnt out, you know, they're not able to manage their, their overall stress levels through, through training and work, nutrition and everything together is often when people are more perceptible to get ill. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to get ill, but potentially... If you're in a good place, you might be able to shake something off a little bit sooner. But yeah, nothing to excess. 
whether deficit or training. And then, yeah, I think look, taking care of your gut this time of year is, uh, is a really important area as well. Let's say, think about reduction of, of potentially damage to your gut. So limiting the amount of alcohol you might consume, limiting the amount of processed foods you might consume. And again, nothing to excess in terms of excess sugars and, and things like that. So yeah, keeping it simple. Standing ace. And any tips on that kind of recovery post as well? Something I commonly see, I'm sure you guys have seen this, is people are so desperate to get back in the gym and like sweat it out. I've just done like an inverted commas there. If you're listening audio and you know, kind of speech marks, but I, I see that people are so desperate to get back in the gym and try and return at the intensity that they were at rather than just like easing yourself back in with actually maybe doing a bit of strength training or resistance training. Like Tim spoke about the, the benefits there rather than like wanting to get that big endorphin and sweat release. From a nutrition point of view, again, going to bang the drum for food quality, nutrient density, plenty of colorful uh, fruits and vegetables, particularly, you know, you're going to get them plenty of vitamin C, plenty of vitamin A in your diet. And there's some really good research behind the vitamin C and zinc lozenge as well. Liam, I know you've used this a lot in the professional mm. sport industry, you know, football, etc. It won't necessarily always kind of reduce the, the length of the cold, but it might help kind of reduce the symptoms. And these yeah. are things that you can very easily pick up from Amazon and, and Holland and Barrett, et cetera. I think we've got some links from our website to our Amazon store. So you can, yeah. I always have a few of them in the cupboard this time of year. As soon as I get a bit of a, a sniffle or anything doesn't feel right for me, it's like, right, got to try and nip it in the bud. Extra, yeah. extra scoop of green powder and uh, zinc and vitamin C lozenge as well. Yeah, that, that's it. Like it, there's a lot of good research on it to utilize the the lozenge on like the first couple of days that you start to feel it. It's the early onset and that's the most useful time to, to get it in. So, so yeah, great stuff. I also think like, I know you mentioned greens powders there. I do think that they're a fantastic thing, but this time of year, I find that soups are quite a good addition you know when you said about getting that nutrient density pre and probiotics so like you know onions and garlics and greens and stuff like this i think soups are sometimes a really great way to just to chuck a ton of stuff in you know and whether that's homemade whether it's even shop bought there's tons of ones now you know super greens ones and you can add stuff to it you can add you know meats and, and fish and nuts and you know extras to kind of bulk it out i just think sometimes it's quite nice to chuck a ton of stuff into into a soup whether that's for lunch snack or dinner so yeah like, like tom said that's a that's a nice way to to get a good amount of good dose of nutrients into your body amazing yeah one of those easy wins and tom i love mm. that you've kept it so simple there as well right because sometimes we can get a little bit hung up on stuff but that everything in moderation especially when we're thinking about training and we're thinking about deficits you know this time of year might not yeah. necessarily be the good, the best time of year to attack a big old fat loss target because yeah, yeah. your body's going to be under a little bit more stress. We want to make sure that you're able to recover, of course. So fantastic, Tom. I love that. Next question that we got through, this was from Lewis Collier. And all it says is CBD slash snake oil. So guys, I'm going to take this one if you don't mind. And I believe it's basically a question of does CBD work? Is it worth the money or is it a bit of a snake oil kind of a thing? And people always ask me why I hate CBD so much. And I don't hate CBD. I just think there is not enough research there at the minute for us to recommend it at all. There's, there's in terms of human trials, there's very, very kind of few situations in which CBD has been shown to be beneficial the one situation where it has been shown to, to be useful is on reduction of seizures in people with epilepsy. That's something that we've seen within the research that CBD oil can reduce 
the amount of seizures that people with epilepsy might experience, which is great. That's fantastic. Can it improve your recovery from training? Can it improve your sleep? Can it improve your gut function? We don't know. At this point in time, we mm. don't know. And one thing that, that kind of really annoys me about CBD companies and snake oil and stuff like that is they will take studies that have been done in mice models or rat models, and they will claim that that proves that CBD has an impact. So they'll look at, say, the gut of mice and they'll be like, we gave mice CBD and we noticed this change in their gut microbiome. This shows that CBD will be beneficial for gut health, which will be beneficial for this. That's in mice. Mice are not humans. And it's hard to kind of scale that upwards. The interesting thing about CBD that I think is there is potentially a mechanism of action out there for CBD to provide some certain benefits. There is this system in our body called yeah. the endocannabinoid system that is a natural thing occurring. Our body produces cannabinoids, not the ones that we get in CBD oils or in the cannabis plant, but we do naturally produce them anyway. And the thing about here is, okay, sweet. Well, if we can take CBD from a different kind of source that's not produced in our body? Will it impact this system? Will it bring about the kind of positive benefits that we're looking for? And as I say, at this point in time, we don't know. So I will never tell anyone to spend their money on something that we don't know if it works. If you mm -hmm. feel that it works for you, then fantastic. But there's a big difference in feeling like it works for you and it actually being proven to have these kind of impacts. So if you take CBD yeah. and you sleep like a baby, fantastic i am very happy for you but this does not mean that cbd can improve everybody else's sleep or if you take cbd and it helps you recovery fantastic i am very happy for you but this doesn't mean again that cbd <laughs> will improve everybody's recovery we don't know that yet and i hope that there's more research into it the yeah. issue with research at the minute as well though is that the dosages seem to be all over the place even yeah. kind of thinking about this question i remember a study that actively changed the doses they were giving people in the study throughout the study as well. So there was kind of no regulation. They were just like, ah, you're not feeling an effect. Let's give you more. And in that's kind of no placebo control either, which is interesting. And it kind of almost hits back to that placebo aspect of if you say to someone, ah, well, it, it must just not be a big enough dose. And then you give them more of a dose and you give them more of a dose, their mind might end up thinking, oh, it must have been because it wasn't a big enough dose. And that bigger dose can then have the potential placebo effect that we see. But we don't know that because in this study, there wasn't a placebo. Yeah. But hey, that's a, a rant for another time anyway. The crux yeah. of the matter from my point is not enough evidence to kind of recommend it. If it works for you, I'm very happy for you. But that doesn't mean that it's been proven in. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. And I don't know, could it have been around a, a, a little, you know, quite a while now? And, and a lot of people have used it for an extended period of time. I'm hearing more and more that people are going, yeah, I felt a real benefit at the start, but now I don't really notice anything. And they've stopped it. That's just anecdotal feedback from, from people that I've, do you know I mean, that have used to say to me, mate, you need to do CBD. CBD and um, I was like okay so you know is there was there an initial placebo effect that well I need to get on this you know this hype train because everybody's doing it and then they just believed what they were taking was going to help them and actually then like say then whatever uh, you know habits around it started to improve and bits and pieces like Luke said we just don't have the actual concrete evidence to say like it helps with x it helps with y it helps with z and I really hope that we can get that because 
it's really beneficial to hear. Well, it's really great that, that some people have find it of benefit from an anecdotal point of view. Like Luke said, we're, we're here to help people. And if they find that something is helping them to improve their lifestyle, nutrition, sleep, anxiety, stress, whatever, whatever it is, we're, we're all for it. What we're not going to be doing is slapping our label to go like, yes, you should be spending 90 pounds a month on a couple of drops under your tongue. And that's going to help with gut health and all your sleep. We're going to go spend that 90 quid somewhere else or save it and building something that's free, such as getting to bed at 9.30 and reading a book. <laughs> you know, like that's the type of thing that I have. We have the issues with, I think. So I don't think it's snake oil. I think that's a bit of a, maybe some people that are saying, I'm not saying that Lewis, you're saying that, but I'm just saying that it's, um, I don't, I think it's quite harsh to say that, but I would be just say we're just still waiting to see that concrete evidence and we don't need tons of it like creatine you know we don't need like 15 years of evidence-based research but we do need something that goes okay this is a really solid study this is a really good outcome yeah maybe we can start to 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 advise on this a little bit more yeah Yeah. a little bit more clout (laughs) and like you said liam as well it's not necessarily snake oil i think the thing that does annoy me is is when companies who shall remain nameless say the best thing and and claim that it does all of these things when we actually just don't know if it yeah. does this and that's when you kind of get into that yeah. almost snake oil territory of they're they're saying that it does this but oh look that's in mice or oh look that study was not actually what they found and that's when i get into territory so i've got no problems with people pushing cbd but i do have problems with people not going through proper kind of scientific practice and looking at okay does this actually work so that's when you can kind of get into that snake oil territory of yeah twisting the science for you but hey that's business anyway that's a whole other thing Uh, cool next question that we've got let's come back to you liam and this one was from luke rumor and it's about allergy tests so the question is nice and simple just should everybody be getting food allergy tests to get to know their own bodies better yeah this is a discussion i had on the previous podcast with steve grant so definitely worth checking that out because steve has done a, a lot of testing as well and with food allergy testing, firstly, like the research on the hair, if you ever get ones that are done with hair, you know, they're few and far between now. I would say that the, the, re- the research on that says that the, the actual quality of that testing is quite low. So maybe stay clear of that. There are some good testing ones, such as York test and other things that do these food allergy tests. Now, I don't think everybody should be doing them. It just to just to kind of set the scene, I think that some people might jump towards doing them to think that this is going to solve the issues of them either not losing weight or them experiencing symptoms. And they'll, oh, I'll get a test. I'll know which foods that work for me and work, what don't work for me, and I'll remove them, and everything will be great. the The accuracy of these tests is still up for debate. We don't really know if like these are a hundred percent accurate. The gut microbiome, the digestive system is very transient. It changes, you know, often due to lots of multiple factors, you know, environment, sleep, the, the food that we're eating, you know, stress and everything can play a role. So I would say that it's a, it's an, it's a useful tool once you've gone through a process of being consistent with your diet and 
trying to remove or be aware of meals or foods that maybe are causing you symptoms. So such as bloating or constipation or diarrhea, if you're experiencing these, then maybe you can go, okay, well, when am I doing it? Is it all the time? Is it at certain meals? Is it certain times of the day? Is it certain times of the week? And just try to identify that to be like, oh yeah, it is always when I eat X food or is it always when I eat, you know, at, out at, you know, three times a week that I'm feeling this. It's normally not that you do that to, you're just allergic to these foods. It's just that maybe there's high amount of oils or, high, you know, high amount of deep fried stuff or high amount of carbohydrates and fats, you know, whatever, because you're eating donuts three times a week. Like it's, and that's causing, you know, inflammation in the gut. Like it's these types of things, guys, that we need to be like aware of as opposed to spending 300 quid on the test to go, you know, or here's the foods that you need to remove. Now, I've done these tests on people. They, you know, people have sent me their results and I've interpreted them. Sometimes you get it where you get a huge number, a huge number of foods, you know, and you're like, well, how are you possibly meant to remove this? Now, what this, what we found, and again, there isn't, there isn't evidence-based papers on this. What we found is that when this happens, it's a systemic issue. There is a issue with the gut as a whole whether that's inflammation, whether that's kind of leaky gut, whether that's an imbalance, because there's something going on in the body there. And what we end up doing then is try to treat the underlying cause. And that might be, you know, like say lowering inflammation in the gut, try to enhance the the kind of gut, you know, environment where we use glutamine on an empty stomach to just to try and give a little bit of support. Then we might use probiotics. We might say like, look at removing trigger foods for you and identifying them. And that, you know, you've got to be looking at the foundations there. When you get individual foods, that's sometimes when people have done these tests and it might be like something like wheat or mustard or, you know, poppy seeds we've had before. And you're like, I've never eaten a poppy seed in my life, I don't think. Maybe I'm a bagel. But it's just like sometimes these random things can come up and, and that's where we just don't know the efficacy of these tests. So for me, you have to go through the process of a kind of, echoes what we just said about cbd if you're going to use cbd for sleep try to build it you know if you're going to bed at 11 30 after playing gaming you know for swinging came in for three hours having an argument with your missus just before bed and then you know just that's it like or drinking coffee at 7 30 at night and then you go oh, i'll take some cbd just before bed that'll help you're, you're missing the point do you know I mean if you if your diet's really poor and you're experiencing these symptoms and you're doing it then I think you've got to look at the foundations first. In terms of if maybe, you know, maybe I misinterpreted the question, but if you're looking at really leveling up, do you know I mean, if you've got something really consistent and you're really feeling good and you just want to know to go to that next level, I don't see any reason why not, but I wouldn't take these tests as gospel. I would prefer, I would prefer to spend the money on blood testing because what that does is gives you a really good snapshot of what's happening. So then you could be like, oh, I'm deficient in this, there's an imbalance in this, or I need to increase these types of foods. So if it's like, oh, I'm low on omega-3s, my zinc is low, vitamin D, whatever, you can then supplement on these. And these are a lot more kind of, you know, and more accurate. So I hope that kind of helps ask, answer the question. So yeah, do the basics. Then if you want to, if you want to add these tests on, but don't just jump in at the deep end and do these tests and expect everything else to be fixed if you once you get the results.
Awesome. Thanks, Liam. Yeah, really, really kind of good, well-rounded answer there as well. So that is ace. Next question back to you, Tom. Tom, this one was from LEEC and it was a question about injuries. So if you are suffering with an injury, should you up your protein intake? What do we think, Tom? Almost certainly the answer here is potentially going to be yes. Just depending on this person's starting point, they may already have a good amount of protein in their diet and depending on what type of injury if they can't train at all or if they can do some kind of training there may be a few caveats here but overall kind of rule of thumb like protein is so so important during any injury any kind of recovery protocol and commonly i've seen where people are training less or not at all due to their injury they tend to end up eating not enough and particularly they're not enough protein and inadequate protein intake will impair that healing process and you can potentially lose muscle tissue as well. So if someone wants to, you know, try and main, maintain their weight, try and maintain their muscle mass, although they're training uh, less or not at all, don't drop all your calories and all your protein intake through the floor. You know, we want you to get back to recovery as quickly as possible. There was a really good paper that I found that looked at uh, two groups and the athletes that were consuming protein intake around 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day had less muscle tissue loss during periods of, of kind of negative energy balance compared to athletes with a lower protein intake. Those were having around one gram of protein per kilogram body weight per day. So depending on what you're currently doing, whether you're, whether you, you have got good protein intake, then keep it there, maintain it, keep it high. Potentially, you might want to bump your protein intake up, getting closer towards that two grams, uh, you know, two grams per kilogram body weight per day. Particularly if you are doing a bit less training, you can maybe bring your carbohydrate intake down a little bit, push your protein intake up so you can keep your calories the same, but just manipulating your macros a little bit there. Gosh, love that. Amazing. Yeah. And as you said, it's about that kind of balance of uh, the evening you're doing as well and making sure that you're still recovering. Liam, you, you had something to add to that, right? Yeah, no, I just think it was fantastic. That's that's a really good answer. Like, it's, it's exactly that. It's so common to see people get injured and just, you know, oh, I'm not training. I need to reduce everything. I need to eat less. I mean, remember that healing is, it costs energy. So it needs energy. You, your body, you know, it needs the raw materials to repair and grow. So, um, yeah, like, like Tom said, if you're, if you're just going to go into that mindset of I'm not doing as much output, I need to restrict my intake. Obviously, it needs to be a balance. But like you said at the end, manipulating the macronutrients is the key. And, uh, you know, like 2.2 can sometimes see quite quite a lot for people. Uh, but actually, like I say, that's that's a really good, really good target to aim for. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. Good stuff. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. It depends on the um, injury as well, Lou. You know, like it depends yeah. on the injury. Like. You know, if it's a muscular injury, like a big muscular injury, you know, you torn the quad or your hamstring or something like this, then protein definitely needs to be there. If you've, you know what I mean, if you've got a, a meniscus injury, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to necessarily impact the the actual injury site, but it's definitely going to help you maintain the muscle mass, like Tom said, the whole body muscle mass and whole body muscle tissue beneficial so like say either way no matter what your injury is i think it's definitely a good idea to focus on that increased protein intake so great good stuff good answer tom outstanding yes amazing next question that we've got that came through it was from luke groomer again 
and it was on, it was how do foods that inflame your gut cause anxiety and depression. So this one seemed to me to be more about kind of the mechanism of action behind kind of gut inflammation mm. and then these links that we see with anxiety and depression. So for those of you that don't know, there is an association between your gut and your mental health. So a fair few now have shown that issues with microbiome can are more common in those people with depression. They've also kind of probiotics can kind of improve the symptoms of depression as well, which says from an intuitive kind of standpoint that if you improve kind of your gut health, it can help reduce the symptoms of depression. Now we're not saying that it it cures depression or that you only have depression because your gut might be inflamed. Obviously, depression is a large and complicated mental illness for what uh, there will be a ton of kind of reasons for. But it is interesting now to see that there is that link between the gut and the brain and your mental health. And so as we kind of know that, this question, as I say, was potentially more about the sort of mechanism of action there. And there's probably a couple of schools of thought for this one as well. One kind of big is we know that within the gut, we produce neurotransmitters. One of the key neurotransmitters that's associated with depression is serotonin. So in when people are depressed, their brains don't necessarily regulate serotonin as well. And that's why they tend to be prescribed serotonin inhibitors as a antidepressant. We know that the gut can produce serotonin. And so if there's potentially an issue with the gut, if the gut is inflamed, if the gut microbiome is not as good or as complex as it should be, this can lead to issues with production of serotonin, which can have that kind of knock-on effect with the brain and those kind of symptoms of depression as well. There's a couple of other schools of thought there as well. It has been inflammation of the gut and the GI tract has can cause or lead to inflammation of the brain or the central nervous system as well. So that kind of neuroinflammation. And we know that this an effect where, again, it can damage or not necessarily allow for serotonin production and reuptake to be carried out as well. It can also act the HPA axis, which is kind of like mm -hmm. the stress response axis. And we know that kind of increased activation of that HPA axis is definitely associated with increased kind of prevalence of symptoms of depression, anxiety, low mood, that kind of thing as well. The thing about in the brain is it's bi-directional. So we know that the gut can affect the brain and the brain can affect the gut. So it's one of those where you don't necessarily know if it's a chicken or the egg, if depression and anxiety leads to kind of reductions in like issues with gut, the microbiome not necessarily being as complex as it was before or vice versa, where when the gut microbiome is affected due to inflammation, that can obviously lead to those symptoms as well. We know that it kind of will work both ways, but the official side of things here where we've seen probiotics potentially reducing the symptoms of depression we can see that, hey, if we look after our gut, then our brains are going to do us a hell of a favor by looking after us there as well. And if we look after our brains, it'll have yeah. the knock-on effect of looking after our gut too. So yeah. as I said, it's out that probiotics are not going to cure depression, but they can help reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety for sure. And looking yeah. after your gut can have a, an impact there. But whenever we're talking about mental health, it is a much more complex and, and wide-ranging issue than just the gut and nutrition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's it's also, you know, this is a nutrition podcast and yeah. like you said, it is bi-directional. However, whatever the whatever came first, we can still affect it. And I think we have control over what we eat. So I think if we can improve that side of things, you know, then I, de I definitely think it's going to be, like I say, might not be treating the underlying cause or whatever, but it's definitely going to help kind of reduce symptoms or manage symptoms a little bit better. I think that's where, you know, people that have ever 
you know, had a big night out and next day and you feel got the fear and you feel anxious and, you know, it's, it's hard because alcohol is, is like say can have that big effect in terms of serotonin and, you know, inflammation in the gut and, and stuff like this. So I definitely think that that's an easy, well, it's an example of something, but inflaming the gut, like you say, and finding foods that, that cause you to feel, you know, to have issues this is kind of like what we talk, spoke about on that uh, testing question is you've got to figure that out. Do you know what I mean? Like people would label gluten and dairy straight away. Like, well, they're going to cause inflammation in the gut. And, you know, for you, that might not be the case. It might be something else. It might be onions. It might be eggs. Do you know what I mean? Like pe people can have reactions to certain foods and yeah, you can go and get a test done, but the easiest way to do is just to have that awareness. And if you can remove these things that are causing whatever, and this is transient, like say the microbiome, it changes, you know, so, you know, it might be that you can't eat a food and then you change it and you feel like you feel better with it. And like you said, that's going to lower inflammation. But like Luke said, I think if we can affect what you can affect, like you can take control of it, then yeah, you're going to see some benefit there. So great stuff yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it there there was always this kind of like i used to think it was a bit of a like a old wives story that people get like a nervous stomach and it was something like yeah. my parents used to talk to me a lot about is that when i was growing up a lot whenever i used to be going to do like team sports or we used to be having like a big day out i often used to get a bit unwell and a bit poorly and kind of later in life throughout my own kind of you know struggles with mental health and anxiety i now get this kind of like nervous stomach it's something that I've had, you know, for all my life. But like, like Liam said there, identifying foods that I know are kind of good for my stomach and foods that maybe aren't so good for my gut, making sure then that I'm kind of, you know, anticipating an event where I could be feeling anxious if I'm eating the right kind of things and, and I'm looking after my gut. There's a bit of a theme today, isn't there? Throughout all the questions about looking after your gut health. But I know then that might have a bit of a knock-on effect in terms of feeling a bit more control in, in regards to my anxiety or already kind of, you know, let's like say the fear of, of doing something new or different as well. So yeah, yeah, something I always used to kind of, you know, kind of poo poo this kind of like, let's say this old, uh, old wife's tale of, oh, you just got a nervous stomach. It's actually true. It's actually really interesting to, to look at the research. So I'd encourage listeners to go away and have a look, have a little read up. If you find you get this kind of nervous stomach or you know that you have certain symptoms at certain times related to stress at work or something in your diary you're a bit nervous about. Yeah, go check it out. It's really interesting definitely yeah. awesome yeah but, and it's but that. great answer lukey on that great answer on that luke it was that was very useful hey nice thanks man yeah really, really look stuff. after your head look after your gut it's not going to cure everything really? but it can definitely help yeah yeah, yeah. definitely that. definitely yeah. awesome awesome so we've got a couple more guys these are kind of a couple more general ones so i'm going to throw them out to the room we can all kind of toss a little bit of input onto them uh, this right here was from Els fitness and it was about macro calculation and recipe ideas for muscle gain and building weight after you've gone through a period of restriction or within a deficit so coming out of a deficit wanting to muscle gain taking that weight up any ideas on kind of break down your macros and potential recipe ideas to... yeah i think i think the first thing is often when people think about following a macro or calorie target macro target especially after restrict is that you don't have to do this every day <laughs> it's all to do often we see people go these are my calories and I'm, oh, that's well, you get one target. Okay. Well, if you're coming off a restrict, the, the, you've got to do it in a step-by-step -step fashion. You can't just jump from a cut to a bulk because it's, 
your body's, you know, your, your stomach is shrunk, your metabolism is lower, like, you, you know, you're not used to doing this and you're probably going to really struggle. So what I would do is put a bit of a step, step-by-step kind of race over a period of maybe six to 12 weeks, lads, maybe if you would kind of do that as the, the first kind of, you know, step, like the first kind of like line in the sand. And then what we would advise people to be doing is to, you know, potentially even just kind of calculate off of what you've been following. You know, you want to be kind of going into maybe a kind of 10, 15, max, maybe 20% increase on that. So rather than just calculating all new calories, I would just say, look, work off of what you've been doing. And over the first six weeks, it's just to try and get these calories back up. And I would just advise them to go, right, add 10% in on or 15% in on three days a week. Okay, do that for two to three weeks, then add, then bring the other three days up. So then all of a sudden, after kind of four, you know, four weeks, five weeks, all of your calories, your baseline calories that you're eating are 15% higher or 20% higher than what you have been following. Like I think going in and just using another calculator again to go, right, this is my target weight. I want to put muscle gain, you know, strength gain, gain for kilos, whatever. It's going to spit out quite a high number. If you can work off what your body is at the moment now, I think that that's a better way to start with, to come off of a restrict. And then once you get that baseline, that everyday intake higher, then follow that same pattern of increasing two to three days, maybe your days that you feel fatigued, days that are harder days, you know, and then you can use this 10, 15% increase. And it's just a nicer way to do it and allows your body to come up. And what we probably then do is kind of move away from that kind of cut and bulk and it's more of a sustained increase with shorter periods of kind of like you know restricting to to maintain weight or body composition or whatever and i just think that that's going to be putting on the right type of weight in a better way rather than if you jump up i think you're going to be more likely to put on body fat uh, if whereas if you did it kind of following that system of that kind of step by step every two to three weeks increasing and, and bringing your baseline up you're probably going to put on a more the right type of weight definitely. what do you think lads? definitely yeah, yeah. and huh? i think it's, it's important to kind of uh, find that as well when you're making those changes so identifying kind of those kind of easy win points so i know this question kind of mentioned like recipe ideas as well but one of yeah. those where you don't want to change your diet totally you don't want to rip up all the stuff that you've been doing with the recipes and what you've been following before and start something entirely new because that's obviously a lot harder to do so a case of finding those kind of easy wins where you can be like, sweet, I'm going to take, like Liam said, my intake up gradually. Where is going to be the best to do that? Where is going to be the easiest to do that? And I think definitely when you're looking to building weight as well, with when you've been restricting, you've been kind of sandwiching, fueling around training. But again, looking for easy ways to take intake up at those points where you're going to get the most out of your training session. You're going to recover better from your training session as well. And in the easiest possible way, in the easiest possible way. So it could be, you know, whatever meal you have before training, just having that slightly higher portion of carbohydrates than you would have done when you were restricting. Same for kind of post-training, mm. having that slightly higher kind of portion of carbs and finding the best and easiest and most frictionless way to do it as well. Because yeah. as you'll see, the more kind of as you start to build to, to consuming a lot more, it is quite hard when building weight and building muscle mass to consistently eat what you need to eat each day as well so i know obviously yeah. do it little by little to start with but as you move on that journey and move to kind of building more weight and getting up past that it can be hard to to take in just that much food that you need yeah. to, both mentally and just physically so wherever you can find the easiest points to do that then definitely do that definitely mate. definitely 
Tom, you, you struggle. Do you ever eat a lot? Obviously, if you're going to be around 100 miles, trying to get a bit stronger. <laughs> eating's a lot. It's hard, isn't it? I, I, I struggle. I do. I, I struggle just from timing-wise yep. to, to eat enough. Like sometimes. I, I, I think uh, having the most simplest, easiest options. Yeah. So having go-tos, I bang on about it all the time, but then it reduces action in terms of preparing food, doing the food shop, having everything in. And often just increasing frequency rather than trying to eat bigger yeah. meals. That's something I found really difficult. Like I just get really full. So I would just, I would eat more or I'd make smoothies because that's an easy way. You can pack in quite a few hundreds of worth of calories and you can sip on that across a longer period of time. Mm. And then not being afraid of like higher fat foods, particularly if someone's maybe been on a deficit and they've probably been having like, like 0% yogurts, chicken breast, turkey breast, just having like slighter, higher fat versions of those foods. Again, you haven't got to change your recipe, but you just have chicken thigh or you have a higher fat mince, or you keep the skin on things, and you have like 5% Greek yogurt, which tastes so much better. All those little things you can bring back in slowly just to help, like say, not necessarily make the volume of your food bigger. You can just make those little tweaks and yeah. uh, see what works for you. Yeah, amazing. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. We've got, we got, we got a blog article on how to eat more as well. So yeah, go away to the website and check it out. We've got tons of blog articles. So there's always going to be we some do, answers actually, to yeah. this in there as well. So definitely a really yeah. good kind of resource. Ace got a little question that we had that I want us to all kind of throw our, our two cents in. This was from Bulsi and it was feeling low in energy, but being in a normal caloric intake and maintaining weight. Why might I be kind of feeling low in energy if I'm eating at maintenance? Our weight's not going to go down. Any ideas there? Can I be can I be devil's advocate here? Of course. And right. say that and say that actually maybe this person isn't eating enough. If your body requires and is asking you to have a little bit more energy and you're feeling low, maybe actually you need a bit more than you think. Again, remember any calorie calculation, any macro calculator is a starting point. Yes, there's food quality to think about. Yes, there's sleep to think about. There's hydration. Some really big rocks that might also be in here, but Often I've found with clients when we push their calorie intake up a little bit and maybe they, they gain a pound or two, but their energy goes through the roof and their recovery is great and they're smashing their trailer and they go, oh, actually, well, this is more like a maintenance rather than that calorie calculator target that I, that I started on. So there's me and being devil's advocate. Like, like Liam said, maybe introduce a little bit more food a couple of times a week and see how you feel. And actually your weekly maintenance might be a little bit higher than what you calculated. But actually, if that helps nip in the bud your low energy across the day, then happy days. Yeah, mm. yeah, awesome. And you mentioned they, you know, like they may gain a pound or two with that as well. That is very unlikely to be kind of fat mass if you if you take it up just that little bit and you still kind of feel like you're maintaining your weight after that initial increase. That's much more likely the changes in like carbohydrate storage or that water retention we see because carbs are stored with water and that kind of thing where people might just have totally be running on empty and when you fill them up a little bit they see this huge kind of benefit in energy like on and yeah the weight can go up by a pound or two but it's not going to be a significant increase in fat mass for sure and maintain it after that but feeling that extra boost then happy happy days so if people are listening to this they go well if she's eating a maintenance <clears throat> but she has low energy why is she not losing weight if you don't think she's in a if she's not eating the maintenance, what if she's in a deficit, why isn't she losing weight? But you can kind of get this idea of adaptation rearing its ugly head again, where what we tend to see when people are in potential deficits is that the 
your expenditure subconsciously or consciously will drop to kind of meet that almost. And what we sometimes see with yeah. people that are in deficits for large periods of time, uh, their on exercise activated energy drops. So like I see it whenever I am in a deficit, I stop fidgeting and I'm a fidgety guy. I won't lie. And it's those kind of small changes that you potentially see. And even yeah. subconsciously, there's these changes that your body's doing that kind of not want to be in a deficit as much. And so it does adapt to it. And that's why we've seen kind of in, in recent years as well, so much kind of uh, given to the reverse diet approach where you see your take intake mm. up just a little bit and all of a sudden things start feeling better, like Tom kind of mentioned before. Yeah, um, Tom said, yeah. You were potentially in a deficit for too long and your body has adapted to it, has made these changes subconsciously, consciously to mean yeah. that you're no longer in what's, you know, a deficit because you're not losing weight, but so much stuff has happened that the energy is there, the power output isn't there, all this kind of stuff just isn't there. Yeah, I, I yeah, like you say, that's that's a that's definitely something we should cover in in an episode as well. But like I said, that's very very common. We see that quite often. The other thing I think maybe for Anna would be, and a lot of people is that they might actually be at maintenance but they might be restricting throughout the week and then overshooting calories at the weekend, which means that they're not losing weight, but actually they're in a deficit during the time where they're going to be training. So they feel low on energy. So they feel sluggish because they're not eating enough. And then they go, well, actually my weekly calories, like Thompson, my weekly calories are good. So yeah, your weight won't change, but let's move some of those calories and like Tom said, increase them maybe around the times where you, your output's quite high, whether that's training, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Most people that we, that we coach and train, train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but their highest intake is on a Friday and Saturday. And what we want to try to do is shift that. And if you're feeding low on energy, but you're, maintenance, you're, you're following the maintenance calories, I would say like have a look at the distribution across the week. Try to shift that and make it that it's higher on the days where your output is a little bit higher. And I know people go, well, what if I'm going to go out of the weekends? Well, how am I going to manage it? I guarantee that you'll get to the end of the week and not feel like you need to treat yourself or, or you know, go mental and eat like a student on Freshers Week, right? Because you won't <laughs> have you won't have restricted yourself throughout the whole week, and your body won't be crying out for you to feed it because you've already fed it. And you've already provided it with enough energy at the time where your output's quite high. So Anna, maybe just like say, look at a couple of those points that we've mentioned there and, then, and you know, and see if that works. Obviously, the other thing that we probably need to go into is stress and sleep and, you know, what, what's going on outside of a, of a calorie and macro calculation in that can we maybe increase the quality or increase the time that you're sleeping? look at stress management techniques, you know, training volumes, like you're training too much, maybe take a, you know, take the intensity or the volume down. So it doesn't mean that you don't need to train. doesn't mean to say your rest day, but maybe just taking a little bit, you know, the edge off of some of your sessions just to maintain your energy levels rather than thinking you have to hammer yourself, you know, five days a week. Again, don't know your training schedule, but maybe, maybe a few of them might kind of ding a little bit of like, oh yeah, maybe that's, that, that's something to try. Yeah, there's always a couple of other reasons as well you know like like any any number of potential sort of deficiencies could have this impact as well yeah yeah great shout yeah with energy is like iron deficiency is a huge same with kind of deficiency stuff like that can can have a big impact Mm. and with that um 
if once you've kind of made the changes that we've mentioned, if you need to, and you still feel it this way, then it's always useful. Something that we've mentioned before, get blood work done, that kind of thing, so that you can pinpoint yeah. it, so you can see if yeah. there is potentially a problem there. And then they tend to be relatively simple fixes once you know kind of what the potential problem might be. Yeah, it's always thinking mm -hmm. about that as well, though, right? Yeah, great show, mate. Awesome. Good. Ace, guys, one more question then, and it kind of fits in with that energy availability that we've talked about, and it is a question on competition day. So this question was from JJ Harrison, and it was competition nutrition, the best thing to eat that kind of week leading up to competing and what to do during kind of the weekend of competition as well. And I'm assuming that this is CrossFit competition. Liam, do you want to talk to us about that? Probably yeah, I will do. Yeah, maybe like I say, but it's, it goes for anything really, yeah. you know, like le the week leading into it does, you know, obviously depending on the type of competition you're going to, it's going to be different, but the week leading into it, like I I'm going to try and keep this short is all too often people would, you know, especially in, in, in kind of CrossFit would be like, oh, I don't want to do too little because I'll feel sluggish on the day or feel whatever. So they end up doing a lot of training. You do need to taper your training. Number one thing please don't just keep hammering it until the Friday afternoon when your Saturday session is like, I know that you still want to move and everything, but you're going to feel fatigued. So I would definitely be like early part of the week, normal training sessions. And then from like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is definitely thinking about taking a rest day or two rest days. Or if you're going to train, definitely keep that intensity quite low, but keep your intake to a normal training day amount. Don't, drop your intake what this is going to do it's going to allow your body to to you know stock muscle muscle glycogen you're allowed it's going to allow your body to carb load without you having to eat 500 grams of pasta on the night before there's an outdated way to do things do you mean like yes you need to eat big the day before but you can also make sure that your body is drip fed through the last from like wednesday thursday you know or two days two and a half days before your before your competition day keep your intake higher lower the output so you're not burning as many calories and what that's going to do is it's not going to cause gastric distress you're not going to have to ask your body to digest 30 40 percent more foods than you normally eat okay that's the key thing okay then on the day before uh, let's say just it just eats slightly more but again you if you've if you've kind of done that the couple of days then you can kind of just make sure that you're just eating a normal training day the morning of you should have practiced this the morning the, the breakfast that you eat on the day of a training day or sorry competition day you should have practiced on a training day you should know this it shouldn't be a it's, just, it's a top up it should be something that you've already eaten before a morning training session so you know that you feel good on it okay now it should be protein higher carbohydrates and, and you know, more balance with, with fats. It doesn't need to be just like solely carbohydrates. It needs to be balanced. Start the day well, make sure that you're not hungry an hour later, but practice this, okay? Then you just need to map out your days. And often or too often people will be eating Haribo and Noco and you need to eat real food. So have a mixture of real food, something like wraps or sushi, or chicken and rice, you know, a pasta, whatever it is, have a meal, have some snacks such as bars, such as smoothies, you know, uh, such as like uh, fruit, 
I mean, rice cakes, and then have liquid nutrition as well. So you've got that kind of mixture of slightly bigger meals, snacks, and liquid nutrition. And what you can then do is just plot your way through the day. Largest gap in between events, that's your biggest meal. You know, time where you have real kind of like tight turnarounds, liquid nutrition. You know, in between that, use snacks. And you want to be high carbohydrate, okay? Lower protein, lower fat, lower fiber, high carbohydrate. But if you've got all three, you allow it makes it easier for you to plot plot things around your your day and then you can just map things out so if you don't have this and you look in your bag or you're reliant on the food stalls at the event you're probably going to get caught short so a little bit of preparation stock your bag and you know that that's going to be the the way but look you can do a lot of the work beforehand by lowering the training volume and keeping your intake higher and look we've, we've got a competition nutrition guide on the website £8.99 maps everything out. I mean, everything. You know, it's 64 page long, sample days, one day, two day, three day events, you know, in between what to eat, leading into during, day of, day after, how to come out of it. Everything is mapped out. So, look, hopefully that's helpful for people to just kind of be like, look, don't be rushing on a Friday night before a Saturday comp. You know, be a bit proactive and just have the options. That's the key thing. The, the different options so you can you can kind of plot them in and around the different events yeah not not relying on the food truck that's outside the competition venue or something like that yeah, oh that's no it. that's it and also there'll be a huge queue we give there's only, there's only ever a couple so then you're like oh i need to eat because i've got I only got an hour and a half before my next event and it's like a 30 minute queue you know <laughs> it's like oh yeah we don't have that anymore that's sold out that's sold out oh, so i've got like a tofu wrap and you're like mm i want this anymore yeah. So, yeah. plenty of plenty of planning and i always say to people always take more than you think you need yeah like i say if you get a bit of powder fatigue if you want to have liquid yeah. rather than solid but yeah tried and tested and like this is what you use at like professional level liam isn't it like this is you know it's, it's not some kind of secret thing that we're holding back from people this is actually we've seen the system work we've put plenty of clients through competitions where we don't get to change a lot we just tweak a few things and they go smash the competition so yeah guys okay. go check out that that pdf go give you go spend nine pound and then uh, you'll win more than that back when you get on the podium anyway so this is, exactly this is what we've done this is this is the same players that we use with our with our athletes who have been the podium at the games like it's the same the same recipe same structure same philosophy so uh, yeah check it out amazing not a bad advert there as well ace guys some some really really good questions there and i think we've obviously tackled as yeah, many as you. we we could we had a feb's as well and we always want more questions so we're going to be doing these once a month so if you have any kind of questions then feel free to send them before we record these we'll always pop up a little q a box for the recording but that doesn't mean that you can't just drop us a message on instagram or on the website if you have any questions in the meantime that you want to get tackled on here we will always check those and make sure we kind of touch on those too as well but as i say really good discussion there guys like lots of great questions hopefully we've answered as well as people wanted us to with those questions as well if we haven't let us know and we'll do better next time um, <laughs> but i've had a lot of fun tom it's been a pleasure it's good liam it's also been a pleasure i'll see you guys thank soon. you lukey thank you tom everyone else we'll see you at the next podcast Hold up. What was that? 
boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.